0: Hello, welcome to the Crib Notes podcast. I'm your host, Dylan Wall. Crib Notes are a concise set of notes used for quick reference, usually during a speech or a test. In the next 10 minutes, we're gonna give you the Crib Notes version of the major headlines from the past week. In each episode, we cover the White House, Congress, national headlines, international headlines, climate change, and some side story that doesn't quite fit into any of those categories. As always, a link to all my sources can be found in the description of the episode. Okay, here we go. The White House. The United States representative in the UN is Nikki Haley, who, in the temporary absence of a Secretary of State, has taken on more responsibility in the Trump administration than her position traditionally warrants. Generally speaking, she has seemed to work fairly seamlessly with the White House since taking the job, which is no small task given the erratic messaging of the administration. Last Sunday, however, she mentioned in an interview that Trump would be signing off on new sanctions against Russia. and that caused a bit of fumbling around for the White House. Reportedly, Trump felt he had not made a decision about sanctions yet, and when Russia almost immediately released a statement promising retaliatory actions if sanctions were put in place, the White House published a statement claiming that Haley must have been confused. Haley responded through a short written statement which said, quote, with all due respect, I don't get confused. In other White House news, a largely symbolic but also historic resolution was signed this week by 39 senators, all Democrats, calling for EPA Director Scott Pruitt's resignation on the grounds of ethical violations. It is symbolic because the Senate and the White House are controlled by Republicans and Pruitt is therefore not in any immediate danger of losing his job. It's historic because it is the most senators ever in the history of the United States to sign a resolution calling for the resignation of a White House cabinet member. Also, a couple weeks ago, the office of Trump's longtime lawyer Michael Cohen was raided by the FBI. Though Trump said the FBI, quote, broke in, in fact, they had a warrant to look for evidence of possible bank fraud. The raid was not directly related to Mueller's probe, but it is likely that the warrant was obtained using evidence uncovered by his investigation. Since 2017, Cohen has had only three active clients. Trump is one. The second is Republican fundraiser Elliot Broidy. This week it was made public that Cohen paid a woman named Shara Bouchard $1.6 million on behalf of Broidy to keep her quiet about their affair and resulting pregnancy. The third client is Fox News personality Sean Hannity someone whose perspective on current events the president has praised many times since taking office. And then to cap off the chaotic week in White House communications, Trump tweeted that former FBI Director James Comey was not fired because of the Russia investigation, which contradicts a statement he made in 2017 that said that was the reason, which itself contradicted a statement given at the time of the firing. Congress. Four bills are being floated around the House of Representatives right now that look at different ways to formalize the protection of DACA recipients. The most popular bill was co-written by a Republican and a Democrat. The bill, called the USA Act, does not provide a path to citizenship, but does protect dreamers from deportation. On the other side of the coin, it increases immigration security, but doesn't fund the border wall. Republican Will Hurd, who co-wrote the bill, said that comprehensive and partisan legislation has a history of not passing, so he hopes that the narrow and bipartisan nature of the USA Act will be enough to push it through. The bill has the support of 50 Republicans and almost 190 Democrats, which amounts to well over the votes needed for passage in the House of Representatives. The problem, however, is that a majority of Republicans don't support it, and Paul Ryan, along with the rest of the House GOP's leadership, tends to avoid bringing legislation to the floor that doesn't have majority Republican support. In any case, if Ryan does decide to bring the bill to a vote, and even if it passes the House, then it must go on to the Senate, where its chances are uncertain. And if it passes there, it must be signed by Trump, who might see it as giving away a political bargaining chip for border wall funding. And the wheel keeps turning. National headlines. Last week, two black men were arrested at a Starbucks in Philadelphia while waiting for a third person with whom they had scheduled a business meeting. One or both of the men reportedly asked to use the bathroom, but were denied by management and told that if they didn't purchase something, they would have to leave the store. The men chose not to purchase anything and did not leave the store, and the store manager called the police. The police arrived and ultimately arrested the two men for trespassing. This led to a public outcry and calls to boycott Starbucks. To Starbucks' credit, they responded by offering a public apology and announcing that their stores will close across the country on May 29th so their employees can receive racial bias education. One thing I keep seeing throughout the coverage of this situation is that everyone keeps saying that the shop employees, the shop manager, and the arresting officers all followed proper protocol and policy. In Rittenhouse Square, the neighborhood where the incident took place, African Americans represent roughly 3% of the population, but account for over 60% of people stopped by police. That is worse than the national average, but not by a lot. A day spent educating the employees of 8,000 Starbucks stores about racial biases is a good thing. But this stuff happens every day in every town. Just because this one went viral doesn't mean it's an isolated incident. So as with most issues related to race, the systems, the proper protocols, the policies, those have biases too. And we need public outcry to address them as well. International headlines groundwork was laid this week for a potential summit between Trump and North Korean leader Kim Jong-un. Actually, the groundwork was apparently laid several weeks ago, but the story just broke this week. Evidently, Trump sent his soon-to-be Secretary of State Mike Pompeo to meet with North Korean leaders. The meeting is said to have gone well, though we have virtually no new details on the as-yet-unscheduled summit. The U.S. has made it clear that talks can only really begin after North Korea begins the process of denuclearization, and though promises like this have also been made in the past, North Korean leader Kim Jong-un has expressed a willingness to meet that requirement. South and North Korea are scheduled to meet with each other on April 27th to discuss a number of peace initiatives, including a formal end to the Korean War. Last week, we talked about the likelihood of Trump launching a missile strike in Syria in response to a chemical weapons attack. That missile strike did happen, but Russia didn't shoot down the missiles or target the launch sites as they had promised to. This avoided an immediate, potentially catastrophic military conflict, but it has led to a fair bit of confusion. The missile strike came about 10 days after Trump both made and then retracted a statement saying he was going to pull U.S. soldiers out of Syria. Then after the strike, he gave a speech implying that the U.S. was prepared to continue fighting Syria for the foreseeable future. Then almost immediately, the White House walked that back, saying that the strike was a one-time thing. Congress was invited this week to a confidential briefing session in which the White House was to provide legal justification for the missile strike, and several of the members of Congress who attended reportedly left the meeting feeling, quote, unnerved. Climate Watch. You might remember seeing a story passed around social media back in 2016 about the Great Barrier Reef dying. Of course, 2016 was a busy year for stories on social media, so if you're like me, you have trouble remembering them all. In a nutshell, the articles were about a heat wave causing large swaths of the reef to starve and die, a process referred to as bleaching due to the ghostly white color of dead coral. This week, a study was published in the science magazine Nature, which detailed the first really extensive look at the results of the heat wave. The study found that approximately one of every three corals in the reef died over the course of nine months. Incidentally, while they were studying the fallout from that heat wave, another one hit the reef last summer, and though a formal study of the second heat wave is still underway, it is estimated that between the two heat waves, about half of the two billion corals that made up the Great Barrier Reef in 2015 are now dead, and the overwhelming conclusion of the study was that the culprit is human-caused global warming. The Paris Climate Agreement aims to limit the rise of the planet's temperature to less than 2 degrees Celsius, but we've already gone up about one full degree since pre-industrial levels. Ocean temperatures rise slower than land, so that number's closer to about 0.7 degrees. Which is to say that even a less than 1 degree increase can have enormous effects. Now as long as we're discussing this open wound, I might as well mention the salt in my other hand. The New York Times reported last November that the world is nowhere near being on track for meeting the commitments made in the Paris Climate Agreement, and even if we were, the commitments made are well short of what it would take to actually keep the planet under a two-degree rise. So, as with every climate change conversation, it comes back to this. What do we do about it? I'm glad you asked. New York Times published an article this week that lists dozens of ways to lower your carbon footprint. Many of them you've probably heard before, but sometimes it's helpful to hear an expert remind you that things like making sure your car tires are well inflated, using LED lights, and recycling really do make a huge difference. The article is linked in the description and I encourage you to check it out, friends. Side story. This week, visitors to the Craigathan Castle in Scotland were turned away at the gates. Built around 1530, the castle boasts what was, at the time, considered to be state-of-the-art fortifications, designed to defend against early artillery. But a few days ago, the defenses fell to an invader the builders had not foreseen, an angry badger. Representatives of the organization Historic Scotland posted a plea online for advice on how to guide the badger off the premises. And though many suggestions were submitted, including mushrooms and peanut butter, it appears that cat food was the only thing that caught the badger's interest. Upon reconquering the castle, the staff found that a great deal of soil and stonework had been dug through, and while the affected areas will be closed off for cleaning, the rest of the castle is now once again open for tourists. That's it for this week, friends. If you like the show, you can subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. You can also go to patreon.com slash dylanwall to become a sustaining member. You'll get fun rewards for signing up as a monthly donor. Rewards start at just a dollar a month and range from a personal shout out on the air all the way up to a guaranteed crib notes in focus episode on the topic of your choice. So your tax returns should be coming in at any minute now. If you've got just even 12 extra dollars, just a dollar per month in that tax return, consider using it to help make this show happen by going to patreon.com slash You can find that link in the show notes and a huge thank you this week to my uncle Jeff, who recently started listening to the show and this week became a sustaining member. You can also follow us on Twitter at CribNotesCast. Throughout the week, I post breaking news and interesting articles so you can stay informed between episodes. If you have questions, concerns, corrections, suggestions, or you have your own angry badger in a castle story, feel free to email me at thecribnotespodcast at gmail.com. You can find that email address, as well as a link to all my sources, in the description of this episode. Friends, you're great. And if there's any news next week, I'll talk to you then.